The things I wish I knew when I started hunting. That's the topic for today's episode, and those things come from you, the listener. Many months back, we talked about this idea that many experienced and knowledgeable hunters often forget what it is like to be a beginner. The lessons they learn through experience over the years become something they do by instinct now, rather than by forethought. Given that this knowledge is ingrained in their subconscious, they easily overlook pieces of wisdom that would benefit newer hunters. As newer hunters, you don't know what you don't know, but experienced hunters often know more than they may be able to communicate effectively. So what are the things that you wish you knew when you started? That's what we asked you guys, the listeners, and today we discuss 10 of those things, adding your tips and then our comments as we dive into this topic. It's just Steve and I today talking about these, and I hope you enjoy them. If there's something we missed or something you want to share of the things that you wish you knew when you started, feel free to send those to us by email to podcast.dexomountaingear.com. But today, let's dive right in and get going on this discussion. Steve, uh, and this is going to be a fun episode. We, months and months and months ago, at some point, we're talking about like kind of this problem of very experienced hunters like overlook things because they just do it by default. They've learned lessons in the past, but now it's like integrated into their actions almost subconsciously. So we kind of started talking about like, there's these things that experienced hunters overlook. And then there's all these things where newer hunters essentially don't know what they don't know. Um, And we reached out to you guys, the listeners. And I was like, what are some of those things like for newer hunters? What are some of the things that come to mind or maybe from recent experiences, what are some of the lessons you learned? Um, And so basically there was a lot of feedback there, which we appreciate. Um, And it really boiled down to some recurring things that essentially we simplified and put into this list that we're just going to chat about. So totally different episode today. uh, As we dive into this, it's not like super bullet pointed strategic. We're just kind of riffing on here are 10 things and kind of how they came up from you guys and why they will be important. So some are big, some are small, some are practical, some are mindset. We'll just dive into it. But the first thing, Steve, and this obviously is important. We've talked about it and it comes up over and over again, but I think it still gets underestimated in its execution by newer hunters, especially guys going out of state is having a detailed plan for your hunt. Um, I'll read one quote from a listener, Alex. He said, have a detailed written hunt plan for each and every day of your hunt. Select three to five locations throughout your hunting area, depending on the length of the hunt. Walking aimlessly to cover ground, thinking you will eventually run into elk is a poor plan. Sure, you may get lucky, but chances are you're just wasting energy. And also know how you're going to get water in the backcountry and make sure it is reliable. So, Yeah, we've hit on this and it's not always critical if you're familiar with your hunting area. But again, especially for newer guys, especially if you're traveling out of state, you need to have a solid plan to fall back on because you may arrive somewhere and it doesn't look like you thought it would, or there's a lot more hunting pressure than you expected, or you hunt the area for two or three days and you're just not seeing sign, you're not finding animals. 
And now you need a plan B and potentially a plan C and a plan D. And what I really think this boils down to is guys know that, but they don't necessarily put that plan in place concretely enough to where, what if you find yourself packing out at the end of two or three days? Cause your first hunting spots, a total bust. And now you get back to your truck and it's 11 PM. And now it's like, Oh yeah, we kind of sort of looked at this one spot, but just realize they don't know how to get there and we don't have cell service and I'm not sure how long it's going to take. And at that point, it's like, you're wasting a whole bunch of time. If you had all that pre-planned, you know how to get there, you know, how long it's going to take to get there. You already can do that without cell service. Like you're going to be much more efficient in the use of your time. So to me, that's what comes to mind. Um, but anything, you know, Steve, that you think it's overlooked kind of in the planning of a hunt like that. Some of the pl- like planning, finding the areas to hunt, right. Or is a huge part of it. And I don't know, there's only so much you can do without in the field experience of kind of looking at a map and looking at the country and topography and creeks and drainages and stuff of kind of getting an idea where elk might be. You know what I mean? Like, and that's something that you probably overlook at this point. But if I was a newbie starting out, I was like, man, I have no idea what I'm looking for. Um, so it's kind of a hard one to answer as far as how do you find spot A, B, C, D? Um, I could definitely say, yeah, from a, um, a big picture, if I'm going into an area that's completely new, download four times the area that you think you need for maps Rough right line, yeah uh, yeah that's like one of the things i've always um the two mapping things i've ever used uh really earthmate uh, so the garmin inreach app and then onyx and one thing i hate about onyx and it's gotten better recently but you had to download and make these smaller to get any real detail you had to download in 10 mile chunks where on earthmate you can kind of like zoom into a huge area and it'll tell you if the file's too big or not, but uh, it is just a way simpler process to download much larger areas of maps. In fact, I did this last night. I had I drove up to the mountains to put a tent out and we're going camping here in a few days. And um, I was like, oh crap, I don't freaking have uh, maps downloaded for this one area that was kind of plan B. Like if went to spot A and if all the camps were full, then I was going to head over to plan B. And then I was like, you know, or jumped on Earthmate real quick and it took two seconds to get to get everything downloaded. So I had aerial imagery and quad sheets and could kind of find my way around. So, um, but yeah, just having a detailed plan. And then uh, so much of it is like, you do all this planning going into it. And I've been in the scenario plenty of times where at this point, I really just like to be like fast mobile, you know, light on your feet. And that kind of applies to not only backpacking, but also um, like, just how you're accessing the country. Do you, do you go in and set up a big base camp and then backpack from there? It's like, I like that combination. Um, we've mentioned this on a podcast previously, like maybe having a way to sleep in the bed of your truck. That's nice and comfortable. And then having a super light backpacking setup where you can just park your rig and, and go kind of bonsai through some country. And maybe it's terrible and you cover it all in one day and get back to your truck that night and drive somewhere else. Or you get back in there and it's like, you know, freaking into elk and it's epic and you have everything on your back to like stay the night right there on the mountain and you'll kill a bull the next morning. So just being very mobile, I think, you know, and this is 
from the mindset of like, okay, I'm completely new to this country. I have no idea what, what to expect, what I'm getting into, what the hunting pressure is going to be like. Um, yeah, just being able to, to have plans, but also be like very readily, like willing and able to adjust those plans as you know, once you get boots on the ground and start seeing what's going on. Yeah, for sure. Good stuff. Um, this next one, uh, and again, I'm kind of like summarizing themes that came up, uh, in the feedback from, from the listeners. And I'm, I'm just calling it find your own way. Uh, and I'll, I'll read a quote from Jed who wrote in and said, one thing it took me a while to realize, and that I'm now teaching to my son is that there's not just one right way to be successful. New hunters have to find their way. For example, Ryan Lampers hunts elk differently than Corey Jacobson and Corey hunts them differently than Paul Medell and Paul hunts them differently than Steve Speck. Steve, you're, you're on quite a list oh, there, my oh, friend. Oh man, yeah. Right? <laughs> I don't think I'm quite category of those three hunters, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and then he says, and so on and so on. And then he says, as a new hunter, you have to learn from as many mentors as possible, pull from all their collective wisdom and tactics, then find what works best for you. Uh, that's a super solid point. Um, I love it. I even listeners of the podcast, you can tune into. Uh, we've had all those guys on the podcast and many more, and you can hear about how they hunt elk. But you have to keep in mind context, and maybe they're in a different area. They have a different background, a different experience, and honestly, just even a preference. And so, I would say not only find your way in terms of what you think or find to be most effective, but also what you find to be most enjoyable, right? So there, I, I know of guys and this flies under the radar that are very successful elk hunters that don't call much yeah. and they, that's just not their game. Like not only because they can fill tags without it, because maybe that's just not how they enjoy it. They would much rather, you know, cover ground, maybe locate a bull that is talking, but then sneak in quiet. And for them, it's almost like that stock and the approach. It's just a different way to do it. And not only can be effective, but maybe it's just enjoyable to them. So if you guys hear stuff, don't think it's the only way to do it. And the other thing I would say is don't get so stuck to tactics or strategies or conventional wisdom from someone else that you turn off your own instincts. Yeah. Even if you aren't like experienced yet, still pay attention to your instincts when you're in the field and don't, don't get caught up in, well, this is what I should do. Like stay present enough to, to be in tune with those hunting instincts. So that's where my head goes, but I think it's a great point to finding your own way. Yeah. I think you, you almost want to like take all this advice, kind of keep it in the back of your brain, but once you get out in the field, forget it. <laughs> and then user and then user instincts like you said don't those are first and foremost what's going to like help you in that final moments of the hunt i think all the other stuff can get you up to getting within you know killing range of an elk whether that's rifle or bow so you know 10 yards or 300 yards um but then those final moments that's when like instincts got to take over and um you know the a lot of this stuff unfortunately there's no cheat code right like you finding your own way took me 10 years of like very actively um, figuring out what that is um, and how I like to hunt and how I'm most efficient and, and frankly, like most lethal out in the field while also like making the experience the most enjoyable. There's plenty of ways to kill elk 
um, that aren't enjoyable for me. Um, and so I've like, okay, that, that can be effective, but that's not fun. So let's, you know, let's try this way. Um, and so, yeah, there's just no, um, yeah, you saying using your instincts, I think is spot on, like get out there and, and, you know, listen to how Corey calls elk and listen to how Paul calls elk and listen to how the born and raised guys cover country and call elk and maybe kind of try a little bit of both in that for like, you know, spend one day doing this method and one day doing that method. But after you kind of do that, figure out what, what makes the most sense for you. There's, it cannot be overstated in my mind, how much that the same confidence kills is, is 1000% dead on. Like when I feel confident in what I'm doing, you just, you kind of have like a, you know, you have a more heightened sense of awareness going on where you're, you're like, okay, this could happen any moment. And you're, you're right on edge, right? Like you're super alert versus if you're like, I just don't think this is working. You, you have this natural mental kind of, you know, just, you just kind of check out a little bit, right? Um, like, I don't, this isn't going to work. And so maybe you're only 75% there and, you know, or 50% there and 50% of your head's like, oh, this isn't going to work. So I'm, I'm going to think about like, oh, I'm, I'm, I wish I was back home or, um, think about work life or something like that. And then all of a sudden an opportunity slips by you. So, um, yeah, yeah, find what, find what works for you and find what gives you confidence. And I think that's very deadly combination. I like it. This next one, uh, I just called it. Don't get lazy with critical supplies and maybe not even critical, maybe with everything, but the, the context uh, one quote, again, these are recurring themes from different people, but I'll pull a quote from Joe who said, and this is funny. Remember to pack fresh toilet paper. One trip, I grabbed some TP that was in a Ziploc bag from a prior trip. And when I went to use it and pulled it out of the bag, it all just fell apart. <laughs> said it was a really crappy situation to be in, but boom, dad joke. Um, I would say that applies to TP. It applies to fire starter and tender. It applies to medications, it applies to your water filter and treatment. It applies to fuel, to batteries, like to a million different things. Uh, just because you have something and maybe touched it a year ago on a backpack hunt, like don't get lazy and assume that you're good to go this year. Um, and honestly, even if you are the guy who can only go on one backpack hunt a year, like find excuses, make a reason to use that gear and to gain experience, which sneak peek, we'll talk about more of that in a minute, but honestly, just do whatever you can to, to get more experience. Even if it's not some cool backcountry trip, like do everything you can to go sharpen your skills and experience and, and do all that. So that was a funny one that came to mind. And it was like a perfect example of, I would have never thought of that, but it's definitely uh, definitely a lesson you can learn as Joe did. And some other guys did in different situations. Yeah. This is an easy one for me, you know, get a freaking detailed gear list. Like there's these days, just Google elk hunting gear list. You're going to, you know, you're going to get, 50 freaking quality responses on freaking Google, um, print them all out, go through them. Um, you know, and you can kind of like grab, make, basically make your own list from those lists, right? Like, okay, yes, I want that. I want that. I want that. Um, and then just live off of that list. And, and over time, um, basically we've talked about this plenty is get home, you know, after the, immediately after the trip, don't wait two weeks, like within a day, pull that list back out, look at your hunting pack and just 
go through it and like, yep, I use this. Yes, I use this. No, I didn't use this, but um, that, you know, I didn't use a rain jacket, but I definitely want to pack that on the next one because, you know, it could rain or whatever, but just, just refine that list. And over a couple of years, you're going to get that thing pretty dialed in and then just live off of it. Like it's, I, you know, come August 15th, I probably print off 20 copies of my list and then every, I just stick those in my hunting bin and then have a pin with it. And then every single trip, um, right before I leave the truck, before I leave the house, whatever, I just go through the list, check off every item. Yep. yep got, you know, uh, super glue for a cut. I got extra headlamp. I got extra batteries. Um, you know, all those critical supplies that we're talking about here. And sometimes the, the non-critical ones, uh, like you don't have to have a fork, but it's a pain in the butt when you don't, uh, you know, I can't tell you how many trips I've been on where more me or, you know, somebody I was hunting with forgot a fork, like just have that list and check it off every single time. And just going to make life easier for you when you're out there. So you don't forget that one little item and, and, uh, you know, you're forced, uh, to kind of adapt and, you know, maybe the hunt isn't as comfortable for, because you forgot, you know, items X, Y, and Z. So, yeah. To keep it like super specific to toilet paper, just consider going all wet wipes too. Like, yeah, it'll yeah. just save you. <laughs> I switched to that camp. Oh man. Yeah. Three, four, five years ago, whatever, just hundred percent wet wipes and yeah, you're dialed. Yeah. Um, all right. This next one's a great one. Um, such an important lesson these days, but essentially I just called it fill tags for yourself. Um, so one of the, one of the guys who wrote in was Chris and he said, I heard one of your podcast guests say in the past to make killing a habit. So how do you do that? As a newer hunter, don't pass on legal animals when you're starting out. If any elk is legal, take the first cow spike or raghorn. You can be a meat hunter on top of that. Look for extra antlerless opportunities on deer, elk, antelope, or other species, even hunt small game whenever you can. This will help sharpen your skills and reduce anxiety when a big buck or bull is eventually in front of you. Um, yeah, man, I, I agree. Uh, people can hunt for different reasons and some guys may want to hold out for like a trophy. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but especially for newer hunters, like experience is greater than everything else. And don't give in to any sort of like pressure, um, on, Oh, I'm like kind of ashamed to shoot a small buck or bull or doe or cow or whatever. Um, essentially as long as it's ethical and legal, uh, and it makes you happy, I say, go put your tag on whatever animal you would like to. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, the big thing there is, as he said it, like that experience is critical. Um, there's just no way around it. There's no way to get better in real shot opportunities than by putting yourself in real shot opportunities. Um, so yeah, man, I fully agree on that. And it's, it's an important topic, especially for newer hunters in this, you know, kind of social media ish age. Yeah. I, you just can't replace experience, right? Like just, as I just said a few minutes ago, there's no cheat codes. Um, get out there, find as many tags as you can, man. And if you're in your twenties, no kids, you know, maybe you got a girlfriend or a fiance or a wife, but you don't have kids yet. Um, freaking hunt. It's never going to get easier or, or, and, uh, hunt as much as you possibly can and just get out there and kind of figure out, uh, what works for you, you know, how you're going to hunt. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I really like the, like we've talked about with Kodiak. I think that's a find hunts where you have three tags in your pocket. I mean, you can, really speed up um 
you know, a learning curve uh, and with three deer tags in your pocket, that's a pretty stinking cool opportunity. Um, you know, you can just figure out stuff. I don't think it's a first hunt, you know, like I wouldn't go right. from hunting nothing but whitetails and turkeys to jumping a ride into Kodiak, uh, you know, maybe, but if you've done like a couple Western hunts and, you know, gone to Colorado to hunt elk or mule deer and maybe you're successful, maybe you're not like, I think that's a really good step to go up there and it's, you know, fairly harsh environment, but also not crazy. You have three tags in your pocket. So lots of opportunities to learn, uh, man, anything like that, that you can do. Like he's this, the guy said in his quote, like Idaho has lots of, uh, X tags. So they're completely extra tags for typically their antlerless, you know, in areas where there's like a, a lot of white tails or extra elk or something like that. Um, man, yeah. Get and get as much experience as you can. Yep. Yeah. And apply that, like, um, apply maybe local hunting experience or non-backcountry experience to future ambitions. What I mean by that is when I started hunting elk out West, I was killing whitetails at home, but I was like practicing doing the gutless method. Um, mm-hmm. never had to do that before, like around, you know, home, like nobody does that. But I was like, I know when I want to go hunt elk and when I kill an elk, I want a gutless method to be an opportunity that's available to me. And I want to have some experience doing that if possible. And so I just started doing that on whitetails, even though I didn't have to. Um, and so take that same philosophy, you know, apply things like stalking and all that, like just find ways to grow in your current context that will help you in a future context. So, um, yeah, kind of related there, but, um, another mindset type piece, uh, again, definitely a recurring theme in the podcast, but I'm just calling it embrace the adventure and the challenge. And Kyla wrote in and said, it seems that enough hunters don't look at these adventures as what they truly are. As you guys have discussed on the podcast, success in hunting isn't a guarantee and you have to enjoy the process of trying. We all probably watch Instagram way too much and see successes from everyone else. So we pressure ourselves to achieve, to achieve the same. You can't compare quote unquote industry people to the average one trip a year hunters. It's very easy to get discouraged and to want to quit. A bad attitude when you encounter setbacks is a surefire way to ruin a hunt, but staying positive can really pay off. So yeah, I think, uh, again, if you're defining success only as a field tag or only as a field tag on like trophy buck or bull or what have you, like you're missing the point to me. Um, it's much more as we've talked about the experience as a whole. Um, you know, we've even written about that on the site. Like I don't consider myself necessarily a meat hunter or a trophy hunter. I'm an experience hunter. It's the whole, it's the whole experience. Um, and so, yeah, just, especially as you're new and as you're gaining experience, see the adventure for what it is, take value out of every aspect of the complete adventure of a trip. And don't just get caught up on filling tags or trophy photos or anything like that. So uh, definitely a a recurring theme. But again, it's honestly super easy to get your mind somewhere else, really. Yeah, I I think that for me, I've really learned to appreciate this um, post kids, right? Like pre kids, you take time for granted. Um, Post kids, (laughs) like you got two little ones at home like I do right now. Um, you gotta like, 
any moment you have to yourself, you got to enjoy. So like to me, traveling to and from a hunting area was, was, you know, like my least favorite part of it. Right. Like, ah, frick, I got to drive four hours. This sucks. And now I like, uh, I've learned to, um, I don't know what I did. Just, it's really nothing more than just a mind shift change of like, oh, this is relaxing. I've got quiet time in the car. I've got four hours, you know, listen to some music, shut off the music and just be with my thoughts. Um, you've really learned to, to kind of enjoy that more. And then also I've, we've uh, talked about this as well. It's just like, I kind of go into a hunt and predetermine what I want that experience to be. Is it purely what, like what I call a meat mission? Like, all right, I'm going out to kill spike and get meat in the freezer. All right. That's the goal. Or is it, you know, all right, I'm going with some good buddies. I killing is less of a priority, having a very good experience and just a fun time hanging out with my friends. That's the goal of this hunt. Um, so predetermining that for me has really been helpful. And then, yeah, it's just, you know, when I was 24, you get back from a hunt and you're like, Oh, you just like take a nap and sleep for the whole next day. And now it's like, I gotta, gotta like enjoy the hunt and be relaxed enough. Cause when I get home, you know, like not only are my kids excited to see me, but my wife's had them for five days by herself. And she's like, all right, here's the kids. I'm out the door, you know? Yeah. Um, and so definitely have to like come home, like refreshed, which is like the opposite. Like you just did this, you know, typically very physically demanding thing and you're tired and you haven't been sleeping well. And, um, uh, so much of it's just a mind shift thing, right? Though of like, oh wait, that was fun. That was awesome experience. Um, whether I was successful or not, enjoy all the small little moments. Um, and uh, yeah, I think you're going to be way better. I don't know, just way better off with that mindset versus like coming home all grumpy that uh, you know you didn't have a quote unquote successful hunt by killing an animal. All right, so somewhat I don't want to say contrary to that, but you also have to, this next one I'm calling prepare for success. And so, yes, it's not all about filling tags, but as a hunter, that's, you know, why you're there. Uh, you need to be prepared for that and it can get overlooked. So Steven wrote in and said, one thing I've noticed about inexperienced hunters is that they tend to not be fully prepared for when they get an animal on the ground, especially when solo hunting, having game bags and a shipe and a sharp knife is just the start. There are many other things to consider. What if the animal dies on a steep slope? How do I break down a rear quarter on an elk solo? Do I have the strength and equipment to hang quarters high enough in a tree so that bears can't get to it, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, it's, uh, again, especially like coming, like he mentions elk. And I just remember the first time I put an elk on the ground. I was like, oh, that's much bigger than the whitetails I'm used to killing, right? Like it's intimidation. Mm -hmm. And then now on that context, we were like five to six miles from the truck. Like you begin to realize just how much work that is. And I almost don't know that you can fully prepare for it until you do it, but you need to prepare for it in the best way that you can. And that comes with, as I mentioned earlier, the knowledge piece, right? Practicing doing maybe the gutless method beforehand, um, having your gear ready, practice hanging stuff in a tree if you need to. I mean, whatever that looks like to you, the physical aspects of it, the knowledge aspects, the gear aspects, um, prepare for success and then know what to do when you get game on the ground. So um, if you have you know experience and you're just a bow hiker and you're like super casual, but then you end up filling a tag and it's like, oh gosh, now I put myself in a pickle. Um, yeah, don't be that guy. Don't get caught off guard because um, success will happen. Be ready for it. 
Yeah. To me, this one goes back to that earlier of don't get lazy with critical supplies, have your, have your kill kit identified in your list and know that that's game bags, knife rope. Um, I have the last few years, uh, Boshma kind of introduced me just to using um, latex gloves and actually do like them, get better grip on the knife. Um, that's mainly the reason that I like them a lot. You know, it's nice to take them off after you're done and have clean hands when you don't have running water nearby, but that's not a deal breaker. Um, but yeah, just make sure you identify what those items are and make sure you have them and then you'll always be prepared. This next one uh, is a bit related to kind of some of the undercurrents and themes we've talked about, but on its own, we're calling it spend more time than money. And Tom wrote in and said, from my perspective, new hunters and even many experienced hunters tend to overlook the same thing. Time spent developing experience. Hunters of all abilities seem to spend time researching tactics and perfecting their kit, but then don't take the time to use knowledge and gear in the field enough to be truly comfortable with it. Your podcast with Dave from Alaska hit on this as he mentioned he could tell when people had taken the time to work with their gear ahead of time and how he had to teach people to use their trekking poles. If your gear stops being a distraction and just works for you, then the hunt gets all your attention and that can make all the difference in the world. Nailed it, Tom. Like I don't know what else to say. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Next. No. I mean, it honestly, this made me think of conversations. That I'm sure we've mentioned this on the podcast, but even conversations you and I, Steve, have about XO and our packs is like, you know, he concluded this by saying if your gear stops being a distraction, just works, then the hunt gets all your attention and that can make all the difference in the world. And we talk about that all the time from an XO product perspective of we want the packs to be like so simple and intuitive and easy to use because we don't want people like having to figure stuff out. We just want people to go hunt and have a pack that supports that. Um, and it's the same. It's true of everything. And even it's the same of not having too much stuff, right? Like not only does more stuff equal uh, more weight, but more stuff equals more complexity, more tear, whatever, right? Like that can come down to, Oh God, your shelter choice how quick is it to get up and down? And maybe that doesn't seem like it matters, but it can really make a difference. And the same can be said for your food, the food that you're picking, like even go down to breakfast. Are you spending a bunch of time in the morning on your hunt? Cause you're, you know, having to heat water and make oatmeal and do all this and do all that. And for some hunts, that's perfectly fine. But for me personally, like there's hunts where I just want to wake up pack up my gear as quick as possible and start hunting. I don't want to have to sit there and do a bunch of work with my gear and with my pack and with food and all that. So this really, you know, breaks down and affects almost everything. And it's all about being more efficient. Right. And some of that's the gear choices and gear setup. And some of that's the time going back to this point, spend more time than money, the time you're spending with the gear. So figure it out in advance. As I said before, Find excuses to go use gear outside of your hunts, go on trips, get the experience. Um, and then things just become much more automatic in the field. Yeah. I think oh, for some reason this comes to mind, but like being deliberate about what you're doing. Um, and it just goes back to that gear list of like, just yeah, getting efficient and being mindful of what you're packing and what you're not packing and why. And, um, and then, yeah, just getting that experience. You just can't replace it. Get out there, hunt a bunch, backpack a bunch. You know, if you're out, out East, you know, go hike 
40 miles of the AT or something like that, you know, just get out there and get these experiences. And it's all just going to speed up that learning curve of, uh, from a newbie hunter to, you know, within two, three, four years, uh, you're, you know, gotten 80% of that curve out of the way and you're consistently killing animals now. Yep. All right. This next one, um, again, this can play out in many different ways and was a recurring theme, but I'm just calling it use every resource available. Uh, so one example, Craig wrote in and said, I've learned that trails and or roads on maps and mapping software tools are not always there. This is a tough lesson to learn in the field or at 4 a.m. when you're trying to access a hunting spot. Mapping apps are awesome and invaluable, but they're not perfect. Before you plan a trip based around a sole access point, make sure it is there and that it is open. Get a motor vehicle use map and a trails map for the area you're looking into. Um, so yeah, it's a great point on mapping and access and it applies to many other things, but don't, the big idea is use every resource available. Don't rely on any one thing, essentially always cross check and double verify as much as you can about any aspect of your hunt. I mean, it's funny when this one wrote, uh, when this one came in is reminded me of my first elk hunt. I went from Missouri to Colorado to a place I'd never been. I thought I was like super smart. Uh, because I found this trail that didn't exist on some maps, but did exist on others. And then I didn't think of the fact, maybe this trail doesn't exist. I just thought, <laughs> oh, it's cool that I found this secret spot that isn't like on some apps. Right. And this was honestly, this was like pre uh, Onyx, pre Go Hunt, all that stuff. So it wasn't as easy then. But anyway, I was like, oh, I found this cool secret trail that, it, you know, I only found it in one place. So I must be awesome because I found it. It was only in that one place because it, maybe existed at one time, but didn't exist anymore. And so I'd, you know, drive across the country and we're putting most of my eggs in that one basket and then showed it up. And I was like, oh, that actually isn't a trail. Nothing's here. What the heck do I do? Right. And that's not the end of the world. Like we bushwhacked yeah. and whatever, but it certainly made the hunt and the start of the hunt much different. Uh, wasn't efficient to cover ground, blah, 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 blah. So yes, double check anything and everything you can. If you use Onyx, check other maps. If you use paper maps, double verify things, uh, call local resources, call fish and game, call the forest service. Like, Hey, say, Hey, I'm thinking about going here. Is this road open? Is it accessible? Um, and again, this idea goes much beyond maps and trails and roads. Like just think of every aspect of your plan, especially in the new country. How can you double check and verify and use every resource available? This is um, specific to mapping. This is where satellite imagery in my mind has been life-changing on hunts mm-hmm. because I can, you know, immediately, like I, I like to, uh, I always default to using either the quad sheets or on Onyx, just the topo settings. I like to kind of look at country better. You can see the topography, right? And then when I get honed into an area that I want to look at in more detail, then I click over to satellite imagery. But you can, you know, Onyx will show a road there, go to satellite imagery. Oh, there's clearly no freaking road there. Um, go over to Earthmate, pull up the imagery, don't see a road, um, you know, or sometimes it, definitely in the in the topo versus quad sheets, roads exist or don't exist. Uh, and then you just always default to like, okay, look at satellite imagery and um, bam, it is there or it's not there. So one, mm-hmm. I do like. Uh, you use this, this come up multiple times in the past on earth mate, how you have the, you know, older quad sheets. Some of them are made in the, you know, 
20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and there was a login road there at some point, I've definitely used that. Um, that, that doesn't show up on Onyx anymore, but mm-hmm. it, you know, that that's a road that was cut in and probably has generally like good access in or out of country. Um, so keep that in mind. Though, having the two, I just I can't imagine not have like just doing one or the other. Like at this point, in my you know personal opinion, every single hunter should have an inreach on them. Um, have that download the EarthMate app. Have their their mapping software, Onyx's software, and and really use the two combined together. Yeah, yeah, and I would say the the flip side of that is sometimes you can identify trails via satellite imagery that. Yes. Aren't on maps, right? And sometimes that's a horse trail or a pack trail or even a super heavily used game trail. But um, don't be afraid to get super tight and close in satellite imagery and kind of start piecing together some dots of like, oh, that almost looks like a trail right here. And then you end up looking, you know, 400 yards away and kind of find another piece. And sometimes you start dropping little breadcrumbs and actually figure out, oh, I think there's something here, like a game trail, pack trail, something. So um, yeah, don't be afraid to do that either. Um, all right. This one, uh, again, super recurring in both stories and questions and what have you, but know that the back country will break or strengthen your bonds. So Robert (laughs) wrote in and said, I've grown up hunting out East, but hunting the West has been something on my mind. A couple of years ago, myself and a buddy did an archery elk trip to Colorado. I've done a lot of outdoor activities with this buddy fishing, hunting, and just plain being outdoors. Prior to the hunt, we set expectations on what we wanted to accomplish, and we really did meet them. We both saw elk and other other wildlife, heard bugling bulls, and my friend even took a shot with no success. It was awesome. But what caught me off guard was how we were not really getting along during the hunt. It was a new experience for both of us, and we hadn't spent time together quite like this. I really wanted the trip to be a full backcountry experience, but my buddy just wanted to kill an elk with the least amount of effort possible. I should have seen it coming though. He did no e-scouting, no preseason training or hiking, and was too cheap to buy good gear. But then on the trip, he complained about the weight of his pack, his lack of training, and how hard this hunt was. The experience was fun, but frustrating at times. We're still good friends, but I don't think I'll do a hunt like that with him again. You guys speak of the importance of a good hunting partner, but they can be hard to come by. I didn't see that coming from a buddy I knew. So yeah, it's, yeah, definitely true. There's plenty of people that I enjoy being with and spending time with and will do certain things with, but that doesn't mean I'm going to do like a week long backcountry hunt with that person. Uh, and it's nothing against them. Sometimes it's just, we see things differently, have different personalities, have different goals, whatever. Um, but yeah, the, essentially a back country, as I said, will break or strengthen your bonds with people. And, uh, as he said in this, it can really catch you off guard. Like you really see people differently and experience them differently. And far too often people act much differently when it's day three, four, five, six, and the hunting sucks or the weather sucks or all the above. Right. So, um, yeah, once again, if you guys are newer, you're trying to figure stuff out, like go do hard stuff together before you make a big trip. So, you know, we talk all the time about like, go do your own death hike. We've talked in this podcast about go find an excuse to go test your gear, take that same mindset and go test your buddy, right? Like if we get into a situation in this case, intentionally where times get tough, like how does he respond? How do we get along when we're tired and crabby and whatever? Like, how does that go? Um, 
So yeah, really, really important lesson. And it's, it's tough because guys put a lot of time and money into a hunt and then it can get ruined essentially, uh, by somebody else. And that's a tough deal. Yeah. Um, maybe <laughs> I would, if you have a buddy that, you know, uh, you have any question about, uh, but you're planning a hunt together, I go do something like pick some challenge, but whether you set your own mini death hike, uh, you both decide you're going to run a half marathon, like pick something prior to that hunting season. Um, if you have any doubts, if it's someone you've, you know what I mean? Like, I guess this guy said he didn't see it coming, but obviously if your buddy's not training and and not serious about it, then that's a pretty good indicator that they're, you know, you're probably going to have troubles on the hunt. So it's not, um, hunting's hard, right? Like you, you have to have, have this right mindset and attitude going into it that, uh, um, it's going to be hard and you're going to face challenges, but that's, you know, the, the harder the hunt, the more the challenges, the, the more enjoyable it is and the rewarding the experiences it, it is when you're done. So, um, yeah, have a, have a buddy that's ready for that. All right. This last one is we just talked about hunting can be hard, but this last point is make it enjoyable. Um, and as much as we probably on the podcast, Steve talk about like death hikes and backcountry hunts and blah, 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 <laughs> like all the hard aspects of it, we still want to have a good time. And as you said before, I mean, there's certain hunts where it's like, what are my expectations for this hunt? And sometimes we want to have a ton of fun and hang out. And sometimes we want to cover a ton of country and hunt super hard. So it, you know, not every hunt's the same, but as this final point says, make it enjoyable. And Craig wrote in and said, have fun. While a Western hunt can be hard work, it's also supposed to be fun. If you want to take that extra second look at the mountains, the streams, and the trees, and make the West what it is. Catch some trout, make some flu-flu arrows, and try to shoot grouse. Whatever it is, make it an adventure and keep a positive attitude. Um, that's the thing is this looks different for everyone. Like some guys do want to relax and fish. That's great. Like I don't. <laughs> you know, it's like, it, but again, people are there for their own reasons and want to have different experiences. And I would say, even if you like want some sort of like super backcountry tough hunt in the middle of that, still make it enjoyable. And I think this is much less about the activity or the conditions or what's happening and has everything to do with your mindset. Like everything can suck in your mindset still can find fun out of it. Um, for some people though, they, they want to have a much more relaxing quote unquote enjoyable experience. And that's great. Once again, this is like, this is your adventure. This is your hunt. If you're sharing it with someone, make sure that you're on the same page, but yes, even if it's a difficult situation, make it enjoyable. And that all starts in your mindset. Nothing to add to that one, Steve. I just need to add to that one. Yeah. Yeah. Nailed it. Boom. <laughs> Mic drop. Uh, yep. That was perfect. Cool. Well, there's 10 things, guys. Um, have a detailed plan. Find your own way. Don't get lazy with supplies. Fill tags for yourself. Embrace the adventure and the challenge. Prepare for success. Spend more time than money. Use every resource available. Know that the backcountry will break or strengthen your bonds and make it enjoyable. So if you guys want to dive um, back to these, pull them up again, we are going to share all these points, the quotes that I mentioned, 
and some notes about these over on the X Amount Gear site. So you can head to xamountgear.com forward slash blog and you can kind of read about these or come back to them in the future if you want to check it out. Also leave a link to that in the show description. As always, guys, we appreciate you tuning in. If you haven't yet, hit that subscribe or follow button in your podcast app. And if you have something for us, questions, comments, feedback, or the like, send an email to podcast at xamountgear.com. We'll talk to you soon.